Oh, you got your praise on this morning. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. Psalm 95. Let me encourage you as fellow believers. Best way to start your day, worship. Before you turn on the news, worship the Lord. Before you go through your day, start with worship and function out of worship. We're in a series through the book of Joshua, and for the next four to five weeks, we're going to be going one chapter Joshua, then a psalm, one chapter Joshua, and a psalm as we finish out our Joshua sort of psalm series as they sort of are wedded together. And some may say, well, what does worship and the book of Psalms have to do with what's going on in Joshua? Well, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because they did not worship God properly. If they would have worshiped God properly, they would not have had the unbelief that they did to prevent them from going into the promised land 40 years earlier. And the reason that they are now conquering, overcoming, and seeing victory in their life is because they're living a worshipful life before the Lord. Once they stop worshiping God again, they will begin to become defeated and they will begin to fall as God's people and they will begin to fail as God's people. As we've learned throughout our study of Joshua, when you and I, like they did, partner with God, we will overcome. We will be more than conquerors through him who loved us. We will see victory in our life. But when we don't partner with God, we're going to suffer defeat. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. And so that's what, you know, we see here. So when you come to Psalm 95, all about coming and letting us worship the Lord, it very much ties in to the book of Joshua. In fact, even later on in verses 8, 9, and 10, it's referenced there to the day before they went in to the promised land and why they couldn't go in because of their unbelief and because they lacked worship of God. I'm, I'm going to divide this psalm up into basically four sections, and each word is going to be sort of the key to the outline. So if you're one of those people that takes notes and whatever and outlines messages, then this next 30 seconds is for you, okay? The first word, come, in verse 1, that's going to be the first point, all right? Then verse 3, the first word, for, that's the second point. Then the word worship in verse 6, that's the third point of the message. And finally in verse 7, the word today is the fourth and final point of the message so that the message is come for worship today. Okay? Come for worship today. In the first part of the psalm, we learn how we as God's people are to worship him. Then beginning in verse 3 with the word for, we learn why we should worship God. Then the word worship speaks to us about the attitude of worship. And the word today speaks to us about the warning of worship. Okay? Let's begin looking at the first two verses, verses that I shared before our worship time today. Come, an invitation 
to worship. In fact, you see this word again in verse 6. Come. God is inviting his people to worship him. But let's remember something. This is an invitation based upon grace. Because to come to worship God means to come into his presence, to be near him, to fellowship with him, to commune with him, to engage and experience him. And in order to do that, we must remind ourselves that privilege, that honor, is because of the blood of Jesus Christ that opened up the way for us to approach God. You and I cannot approach God apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ who made a way for us to come into the presence of God and even worship him. So the invitation itself is even a picture of God's grace. God is always inviting his people to come to him. Uh, you know, the great invitation of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. The great invitation at the end of the book of Revelation, all who are thirsty, come. All who hear and, and, and want to come, you know, you come. The Spirit and the bride are saying, come. God is continually inviting people to come into his presence, but knowing that we've got to come God's way, which is through his son, Jesus Christ. But then again, you'll notice these words to us. And I want to first talk about the object of our worship that we see here in the first two verses. Notice the object of the worship is always God. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout out our praises to our protector who delivers us. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout out to him. Worship has got to be all about focusing on God. Can't be about us. There's so much worship today in the houses of God that are so man-focused and not God-focused that God actually gets lost in our worship. That should never be amongst the people of God. God should always be front and center of our worship. He's the one that we need to be focused on. His greatness, his goodness, his grace, all of it, all the, the divine attributes and glory of God, God needs to be the focus of our worship. Folks, I've even had people come from other churches, and I'm just going to use this as an example, who said, your worship here is different. Not, again, that it can't be enthusiastic and with instruments and all of that, but, but you don't have all the stuff that a lot of churches have, you know, in your worship. And we do that purposefully here because we don't want God to get lost in our worship. We, we want to worship him, and we need to worship him, as we're going to see, with instruments and with voices and all of that. But it's still got to be God that is the very focus of what we are all about when we worship him. And you see that in the first two verses. The second thing I want you to see in these verses is that our worship has got to be corporate. We've got to be part of a community of believers. Yes, 
God wants all of us as his people to develop a lifestyle of worship personally, where we worship God personally, individually, every day, okay? But God is also requiring us, commanding us, that it is part of our duty and responsibility as Christians, as God's people throughout the Old and New Testament, to come together in his designated sacred space, his houses of worship, and worship him. Notice, let's, or let us, sing to the, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout out praises to our protector. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout out to him in celebration. You and I are not worshiping God properly as God's people if we're not faithfully coming together regularly and worshiping him corporately as a community of believers. You can say all you want to about, I can worship God on my own. Yeah, you can, but that's only half of the responsibility. The other half is to make sure that you and I are in God's house on a regular, consistent basis because God says it's very important for my people to worship in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And you see that very clearly in these first two verses as well. And then I want to talk a little bit more about what I shared before we worship that you can't read these two verses and not see that God expects our worship to be expressive, to be enthusiastic, to be emotional with words like sing for joy and shout out praises and shout out to him. You know, I grew up in Baptistic environment. And I'm not going to diss my Baptistic upbringing. There was a lot of good about that. But one of the things that many Baptists do is they saw the, what they considered to be the over-emotional worship over here, right? And like many times what we do as human beings is we respond by going too far the other way and taking all the emotion out of it because we we don't want to get too emotional we, we don't want it our our christianity to be too you know feeling based well yeah we need to worship god in spirit and in truth but you can't read the word of god in god's instructions about our worship especially our corporate worship when we come together and not see that there's emotion there there's feeling there because that's what love is if you're in love with anything or anybody guess what there's going to be feeling and emotion there and if we're coming together as God's people and we're saying we're going to express to you our love our adoration for you then there better be feeling and emotion behind it because if there's not then there's no love there there's got to be emotion there's got to be feeling. There's got to be that sense that we are overwhelmed with being objects of the love of God. Our worship needs to be characterized by a genuine display of gratitude. In fact, three times in these first two verses, 
The word sing in verse 1, the word shout in verse 1, and the word shout in verse 2 literally mean to cry out. That's expressive. That's emotional. I shouldn't come into the house of God expressing my worship and go, yay, God. <laughs> Especially when we live in a culture where we can go to sporting events and we can scream our guts out and we can lose our voices cheering for, you know, a team or a family member or a friend or whatever. And then we come to the house of God and we shut it all down because somehow we need to, you know, we need to be, you know, refined and dignified. <laughs> there needs to be a little loosening up. And I love the fact that over the 12 years that we've existed at a church, we've grown in that area. We, we've grown from being those people that just sort of stood there on Sunday and just sort of sang and, and didn't express ourselves physically or, you know, emotionally anyway, and we're getting there. We still need to grow in that, but we're getting there because I think for some of you, it's just breaking down your inhibitions. You're like, well, what is somebody going to say? Or Don't worry about that. I love that David didn't worry about it, even though he got called out by his own wife. He was so overcome with the love and joy of God that he began to dance before the Lord. Oh, that we as Christians would stop worrying about what everybody thinks and just worship the Lord out of the fullness of our heart. It's exactly what the psalmist is saying. And can I say something else here? And I, I know I'm going to touch on a touchy subject here. There are many Christians that, that recoil when we start getting a little bit too loud in our worship. I'm sorry, do word studies on these things in the Hebrew language, you're not going to find anything other than loud. Shout? The word literally means to ring in your ear. So for you all that have trouble with it being a little loud, you're not going to like heaven very much. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, when we get to heaven... And you hear worship up there, it's not going to be this. No, it's going to be big, big. Now, I realize at that point, you're going to have glorified ears, so maybe you'll be able to handle it. And listen, I'm not saying that we get so loud that, you know, we can't think or hear or whatever, and that we lose, again, the focus of God. But there's no doubt about it. God welcomes us to be enthusiastic when we come to worship him. That's what you see in the words sing and shout. Cry out to God. Be so overwhelmed by who he is that we come wanting to express fully our love and adoration and appreciation for him. And we're not going to hold back. We're going to let him have all of it, and we're going to give it all to him. And, and we might even be a little tired when we go home after being at church because we've been so engaged, you know, with worshiping God that we might be a little worn out. That's okay. I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that we're, 
in a sense, fortunate in many ways that we weren't part of the Old Testament because you want to talk about putting their all into worshiping God, they had to carry their sacrifices on their back to the temple. They had to be there and watch their sacrifice get slaughtered. There was blood flowing everywhere. The house of God wasn't this place where there was no action and, and no you know, loudness and no you know, smells that might have been a little off-putting and all of that, because you and I all know what blood smells like, and there was blood all over the place. It wasn't necessarily the, the cleanest place in the world or all of that. It was a place, though, where God was doing business with his people and God is the same God today he wants us to come to his house not to make everything always so nice and neat and clean but it's a place where we do business with God and where our hearts and our minds are cleansed by being partnered with a holy God and a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine Okay, I think I've said enough about that. <laughs> Let's move on to why we worship. Verse 3, 4. Come, 4. The Lord is a great God, a great king who is superior to all gods. Two reasons in that one verse why we worship God. Because he's great greater than anyone or anything you and I could ever imagine, the greatness of God. When you and I begin to think about our God and how great he is, we can't even go there, obviously, in our human finiteness. But we can begin through the word of God, especially, and through the spirit of God that lives within us to get in touch with the greatness of God. And by the way, the more, and I'll touch on this later, the more you and I exalt God, and the more we see the value and worth that we are. That's part of the problem today is so many human beings don't even acknowledge God, much less worship him properly. And that's why they don't see themselves of much value or worth, and they certainly don't see other people's human lives as of much value or worth, because it all starts with proper worship of God, the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God. He is superior. He's above. He is over all gods and all things and everything in the universe that he created. His greatness, his sovereignty. Then notice, he's the creator the depths of the earth are in his hand. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Then notice verse 6 at the end. He's our creator too. None of us would be here if it wouldn't be for God. We are his very special and unique design that the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, he knit together and fashioned in our mother's womb. Out of everything else that God could be interested in, he was interested in each of us so much that he literally designed us. He had a plan that he went from. You and I are, there's nothing about the way we look our personality, our temperament, our abilities, our gifts, and all of that that's accident or coincidence. It is all by the design of God. 
down to everything, including whether we have hair or we don't, <laughs> what color our hair is, what color our eyes are, all of that. God, our creator, designed us, gave us everything that he gave us, and he did it. That alone should elicit and inspire a lifetime of worship. We wouldn't even exist if God hadn't brought us into the world. Then, verse 7, another reason why we worship him, he is our personal God. He's not just the big God of the universe that keeps everything going. He is our personal God. He wants to have a personal relationship with us. He wants to walk with you every day. He, he wants to just be the biggest part of our lives every day. He wants us to literally do nothing without him and everything with him. Our personal God. That's crazy. But again, that shows not only his greatness, it shows the value and worth that he places upon us that as God, he didn't need us. He could have existed for all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I spoke about this way back when we started Genesis. He could have, he could have existed as the Holy Trinity for all of eternity and never brought one human being into existence, and he'd have been fine with that. He's self-sufficient, self-existent. He doesn't need us. So when he as God decided, I'm going to make man in my image, he knew I am now literally obligated for the rest of eternity to take care of them who I brought in. And knowing also all the trouble because he could see ahead. God did that so that he could have a relationship. It so grieves me, and I, if it grieves me, I can't even imagine what it does to God. How so many human beings have existed throughout history, and for them it's, it's about religion. It's about all these do's and don'ts and checking off boxes and all these different things and, and trying to, you know, be good enough and, and all of these things. To, and it's like, no. First of all, our salvation is a free gift. It's just requiring our faith. Jesus did it all. We just have to put our faith in what Jesus did. And then the fact that God wants to be our personal God. And then to go beyond that, why do we worship him? Because he's not just our personal God and Savior. He's our shepherd. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep he owns. Is the Lord your shepherd? Because there's nothing like having the Lord as your shepherd. Read Psalm 23. As his sheep, we are lavished in his love and sustained by his constant care every moment of every day. There's not a day that goes by that our shepherd does not lavish his love and sustain us by his care. He's a good shepherd, as he said in John 10. He's a great shepherd of his sheep. 
And so there's all these reasons the psalmist gives us why we should worship God. He's great. He's sovereign. He's our creator. He's our personal God and Savior. And he's our personal shepherd. What about the attitude of worship? Look at verse 6. Literally in the Hebrew, verse 6 says this. Come, let's bow down, bow down, bow down before the Lord. You think God's trying to get something across? Bow down, bow down, bow down before the Lord, our creator. The attitude of worship is this. You and I cannot truly worship God properly apart from humility recognizing, first of all, who he is and acknowledging him and putting him in his rightful place, which also then sets us in our rightful place. And not in a negative way, like we're just, you know, we're the scum of the earth and we're lower than, you know, an ant's belly. No, no, just the opposite, just the opposite. I can bow down to my God because... The more I exalt him, the more I lift him up, realizing that this great God, who's greater than I could ever imagine him to be, is my God, my Savior, the one who was willing to die on the cross for me, the one who is my personal shepherd every day. So the more I lift him up, I put myself, yes, in my rightful place. I recognize I'm always coming into the presence of one greater than me, but it also gives me a dignity and a value and a worth as I bow down. I'm not bowing down to my God groveling in his presence. I'm bowing down to one who my heart adores and, and just loves because I understand the great love and care that he has for me as one who's nothing one who's nothing and one who deserves nothing. You see, pride is a hindrance, total hindrance to worship because pride comes into our life and we become very quickly unthankful and ungrateful. Because pride says, I deserve better than what I'm getting. Pride says, I don't deserve to go through this or to deal with this. I, 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 God, it isn't fair. It, it isn't right. All of these things. You know, we're, pride is always about asserting our rights. Right? And when we think about it in the proper worshipful context, we've got to think about the fact that, you know what we all deserve? Eternity in hell. That's what we all deserve. So let's talk about that. <laughs> that's what we deserve. But God, in his grace and mercy, said, no, I'll make a way. I'll make a way. I'll sacrifice myself so that you won't have to ever experience an eternity apart from me. That's what I'll do. Pride's like, we're getting a raw deal. 
So that cuts off our thanksgiving and our gratitude because somehow, you know, we're never fulfilled or satisfied or content in our God because we're not worshiping him properly. We're not seeing him for who he is, and therefore we're not seeing ourselves for who we really are. And when we don't humble ourselves before God, we're not going to bow down and worship him because somehow, God, you've done me wrong. I deserve better. Where's my rights? And that's the world we're living in even amongst those who call themselves the people of God. And it all goes back to improper worship. And that's why this so much ties into the book of Joshua. This is why this is so relevant even to preach on in a day and age like we're living in today. Because it's exactly the crux of what we need in this world today. God isn't being worshipped at all, which is why there's so much discouragement and depression and despair and anger and hatred and bitterness and strife and all of this. It's all born out of the fact that we're not seeing God in a proper way and we're not seeing ourselves in a proper way. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but I just thought of this passage. It's a powerful passage. I want to read it to you. It's out of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who were confident that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. The tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the way up in God's kingdom is down. The way up is down. Bow down, bow down, bow down. That's the attitude of worship. One final thing, back in Psalm 95, verse 7, the word today, the warning in our worship. Notice the psalmist says, today, if you would only obey him, literally in the Hebrew, if you would only move to his voice. We've talked about that phrase in the last couple of weeks out of the book of Joshua. He says, do not be stubborn or hard-hearted or unresponsive like they were at Meribah or at Massah. That was, by the way, where God produced the water coming out of the rock, where your ancestors challenged my authority. Forty years they wandered. So he said in verse 11, in my anger, they will never enter into the resting place I had set aside for them. 
They will never be at peace. They will never experience rest. Why? Because being at peace is even a person of God goes back to a proper life of worship. You know why some of you out there today who are watching me from your homes are not at peace and not at rest? Because you're not worshiping him properly. Some of you may be here today in this auditorium. You know why you're not at peace and not at rest in God? Because of your lack of worship. It all goes back to our worship of God. That's how we become at peace. No matter what's going on in our lives or what's going on in the world, we can be at peace and at rest in God when we're worshiping him as we should. So the word today is key. Why is the word today key? Because we should never take our lives, our time, and our opportunity to worship him for granted. Because every time that goes by that we are hard-hearted and unresponsive to God because we're not responding to God as he's moving and he's working and as he's speaking to us, our heart becomes a little bit more calloused. Now think about that. that. That's important. God is basically saying to us as the people of God, when you have an opportunity to move to my voice and I'm working and I'm moving and I'm, I'm you know, doing these things in your midst and you don't respond to me as you should in worship, your heart becomes a little bit less responsive the next time. You become a little bit more hard-hearted so that every time we do that, every time we do that, our heart becomes harder and harder and harder. We become less responsive, more insensitive to God every time. That's why we have throughout the history of the church, people who can come to a church, say even like ours, who can leave a service like this and be totally transformed and changed and God worked in their life, and some other person could be in the same service and leave the same way that they walked in, totally unchanged. Well, wait a minute. They experienced the same God in the same service, singing the same worship songs and hearing the same message. What's the difference? One responded and moved to the voice of God, and one didn't. And maybe it's because that one that didn't has been doing that for quite a while now, where God has been moving and working and speaking to them and whatever, and they just keep becoming more hard-hearted and more insensitive as time goes on to where you could put them almost in any spiritual environment at all, and they're going to be unmoved and unresponsive no matter what they experience. Folks, that's a dangerous very unhealthy place for us to get as God's people. Because worship is all about responding to God. That's what our worship is. Our worship is responding to who God is and what he's done, which again is why here at the Oasis, the pillars of our church are worship and the word. And they do not compete with each other. They complement each other. The more we worship God, the more we are driven to the Word of God in order to know more about our God, and the more we get into the Word of God and know more about Him, the more we want to worship Him because we understand how great and awesome and amazing 
and loving and caring he is and what he's done for us. That's the healthy Christian life. So today, those of you at home, today, God's moving, God's working, God's speaking. But God leaves the choice up to us. Here in this auditorium, today, today, because here's why. You put off today and you don't respond to him today, it's going to be harder for you to respond tomorrow. That's what the psalmist is saying. If you don't respond today, it's going to be harder and harder to respond as time goes on because our heart gets more hard and we become less sensitive and less responsive to God. Let's not miss this opportunity. Let's not take our life, our time, and our opportunities for granted. This may be the last Sunday service someone ever has. We don't know. I've preached a Sunday service, and by the next Sunday, I've done the memorial service for a person in our church. I might not be here next Sunday. God willing, maybe we all be gone. <laughs> but I'm saying, don't take these opportunities for granted. Make the most of it by responding to God today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. As they're coming and getting in place today, look, listen, I know that we all respond in our own way, and you can respond to God right where you're at, but as always, I just want you to know that you want to come here and maybe bow down, bow down, bow down before your God today, you do it. You do whatever God is moving, working, asking, speaking to you about. You just do it. Because that's what worship is. It's saying, God, whatever you, I'll, I'll follow. Maybe it's just, Lord, I'm just going to recommit myself to the, this song's all about surrender. I'm bowing down, God. I'm yours. I'm recommitting myself to being a living sacrifice. Whatever you want from me, God, that's whatever it is. But just use this time today to respond to God. Would you stand with me? Father, I pray today that whether we're in our homes, whether we're here in this auditorium or wherever we are, God, that we wouldn't miss the opportunity we have today to respond to you, God. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And God, we are so blessed. And so I pray today, God, that not only will we be willing to sing songs of celebration and shout to you, but God, that we also will humbly bow before you, surrender and submit to you, God, whatever you're doing in our life. And that we will give you everything we've got because you've given us everything for time and eternity. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.